Welcome to the 82nd installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. The amount of native grassland left in Midwestern farming states is a tiny fraction of what it was even 50 years ago. Even pastured acres have declined at an alarming rate as plantings of crops like corn and soybeans have skyrocketed. This has led to, among other things, a dramatic decline in birds that rely on grassland habitat to survive and thrive. That's why bird experts and ecologists are so excited about farming techniques that rely on perennial, grass-based systems. If farmers could find a way to make raising grass economically viable, goes the argument, then grassland bird species would have more habitat available on all those farms across the Midwest. One way of making grass economical on a farm is through managed rotational grazing, a system that rotates cattle and other livestock through a series of paddocks during the growing season. Besides being a low-cost, profitable method to produce meat and milk, managed grazing reduces overgrazing, builds soil, and helps create healthy grassland habitat, the kind of habitat birds such as bobolinks and meadowlarks love. A few years ago, bird expert John Stravers was doing research in some northeast Iowa woods near the Mississippi River when he noticed that an adjacent dairy farm was full of bobolinks. After talking to the farmer, Phil Specht, Stravers came to realize that the operation's managed rotational grazing system was producing good habitat for not only bobolinks, but all sorts of birds, including grassland sparrows and meadowlarks. Specht, who milks 170 cows on his 500-acre farm, was surprised and delighted to learn from Stravers that his rotationally grazed pastures were home to grassland birds. Stravers, who is the Driftless Area Coordinator for the National Audubon Society's Mississippi River Initiative, has since learned that there are other farmers in the region who are using sustainable methods that benefit birds and other wildlife. How profitable farming and bird habitat can go hand-in-hand was a subject of a field day recently hosted by Dan Specht, Phil's brother and neighbor. Dan, who is on the Land Stewardship Project's Board of Directors, raises beef cattle on grass and has long been involved in efforts to research and promote sustainable agriculture. The field day, which was put on by the Practical Farmers of Iowa, Iowa Natural Heritage Foundation, and the Audubon Society, was designed to show farmers, as well as natural resource professionals, how to integrate wildlife habitat and farming. During the field day, I talked to Phil Specht and John Stravers about what happens when farmers and natural resource professionals work together to prove that profitable farming and good wildlife habitat can go together. Phil started out by explaining his grazing system and how it creates good bird habitat. It is incidental up until the last few years when I discovered how really rich an environment it was for birds and so I've kind of bent my program a little bit their way but it just has worked out such that the system that I use is one that utilizes early grazing short a second time through and then a third time through before I cut it and it's the seed heads are out and so that gives an opportunity for the grassland birds to nest and raise babies up to this. And then I, I normally will leave about 20% refuge as part of a sod thickening grass restoration. Uh, everything is is based on trying to get thicker, more productive sod and, and uh, increasing productivity of the land while maintaining... Uh, these conservation values. I've worked out a system that John can attest is good for birds. It started out being because I found it good for the hole in my grazing system was late July 
I have mostly cool season grasses. If I wait until the stems are hollow, the grass is headed out, it would be the cows have just gone through it a third time, and then I uh, clip it high. And, and one of the things I've noticed is there's a big difference in what I call my second flush, which I get in the end of July, uh, coming out underneath this thatch, I have to have enough of a leftover residue that it makes a, a shade, a cover, and a stubble that keeps the cows from sticking their nose down and grazing it too short. And so then the rest of the year I have, I norm, normally try and always graze a four to eight inch range and then well the second time through it'd be more like 12 inch but get the cows so that they're used to grazing at a certain height not ever grazing short it's different than a lot of guys that use intensive grazing systems where they have uh, smaller paddocks denser rates shorter sward height i've developed a system where i i go uh, intensive it's kind of for cow psychology to get my herd in a herd. And then I go through a 3-4 system, I call it, where I make a three-day paddock, but it sometimes turns into four. But I start with one, and I'll give them one day's grazing with temporary fencing. And then I may split up what's left and do it in a second day and a third day of moving a, a temporary fence, or I may just release them into the whole 3-4 day. Uh, and the closest to the barn will be the shortest, and they'll walk over it. It ends up being uh, utilized as one unit, and then three, four, five weeks later, depending on the length of, of the season, the rainfall, all those different variables, there'll be a, a, a place for the whole herd to go. That'll be kind of a standard height. And then I open my whole farm up into, I've got nine different water sources, so my basic system set up nine divisions into these three four so there'd be like a 27 day rotation or 30 31 day whatever it works out i th i think that the key to the 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 grass bird uh habitat is that as i'm going through now then there will be every three days i'll be making a different height and so some years there'll be birds will be be have made it out of the first time some years I'll run little birds through my rolls. But by doing it that way, there's going to be some of them to repopulate the whole farm. Uh, there's going to be some reproduction every year. And, and the other thing that I do is then I leave a, a total refuge where, not a total refuge, they get, it gets grazed, but I don't ever touch it with a mower. And I found that the, the structure of those old clumps of grass and stuff of the full height, there'll be a few of them. They'll survive the winter, and they won't get packed down by the snow. And, and then the, the birds really like that strip. So I watch for the nesting birds before I mow that, what was the refuge the year before. A lot of different species, the diff all the different grass and sparrows and meadowlarks and red room blackbirds. But the thing that John was noticing that I've got more than uh, most landscapes is bobolinks. And they're kind of a, a declining bird. So I've been gearing my system around promoting bobolinks the last few years. It must be fun when you're doing something that it was benefiting your your uh, uh, forage system, your your feed system, you know, you're building up that sod, but then to find out there's this extra benefit too that, you know, maybe you didn't hadn't obviously hadn't noticed it, but because somebody else, an expert noticed it, then it's kind of added benefit there. 
the expertise of John with his to to to, to note that just kind of gave me a little added incentive. But one of my core values is is uh, environmental protection and conservation. Um, one thing. Uh uh, John, that I think I got from both you and, and Ron talking a little bit, was that the, it, traditionally we often, I guess people who are interested in wildlife habitat and, and uh, ecology in general, saw farming and, I guess, a healthy environment as exclusive of each other. They didn't fit hand in hand. But it sounds like you guys are a little bit excited about some of the things you're seeing on farms like this, some of the sustainable practices. I think uh, we have a prime example in here in Phil Specht in that he, uh, I ran into his his property because I was doing some surveys in the forest next to his land. But as crossing his land, I was like, this guy's got bobblings all over. And he's also, he's it just doesn't look like anybody else's routine because he's got electric fences that he moves every few weeks. So when I was going back to this habitat that I needed to get to, I would have to take a different course because he was moving his cattle all the time. And so I, I, I got a better understanding of his approach. And, you know, he's he's looking at larger tracts of grasslands, and he's looking at the long-term scale for both the habitat and his cattle. And so there's a prime example of like, okay, this guy's got bobblings all over. It's a prime example of agriculture and, and cow production can go along with bird populations and conservation. It's probably just a, a unfortunate that he's kind of a rare example, but uh, I think it's a good example. And 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 he's looking at he's looking at the economic factors too. That he's trying to make this sustainable. His look at this over time has impressed me because he's he's talking about keeping his costs down. He's talking about the health of his cattle, and it's working. Yeah, and I think the other thing you mentioned was that when you walk these pastures with these farms or just these edges, it, you, you you've learned a lot in that they're looking at this differently than you are. They're approaching from a different standpoint. Right, right. I have my specific set of looking at, listening to the songs, and trying to understand what's there. But I'll go back to the long-term sustainability of it. Uh, we're both wanting long-term sustainability. Me of the bird populations, and him of is of effective grassland. So it's a this is a this program, this event is a good example of partnerships where. We come together, and yeah, okay, you guys are talking about trying to get landowners here to learn, but heck, <laughs> we're learning, okay? I'm, you know, I pay, I'm the so-called expert, but I, you know, you benefit from listening to some other point of view, some other perspective uh, of the habitat and the birds, and so it's it's definitely a learning process that I appreciate. <laughs> After our interview, Phil Speck told me he's now experimenting with plugging tile lines to create habitat for frogs, which will in turn provide food for red-shouldered hawks. For more information on how grass-based farming systems can benefit farmers financially while helping create good wildlife habitat and other environmental benefits, go to www.landstewardshipproject.org and click on the Stewardship Science link. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org, or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. 
And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Thank you.